Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today I am honored to have Osayo Sunday with me. I am your host, Phil Friedrich, and today we are going to talk to Osai's pivotal moments of how he went from losing a parent to collegiate football, professional football, to now owning his own company. Thanks so much and tune in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I am honored to have Osai Osunday with me. Uh, let me tell you about this guy. We're going to hear a lot of pivotal moments in his story, but um, you know what he does today. He's the owner of Fit Academy and a uh, very established uh, college career and then professional NFL career. So excited to have you on and uh, sharing your story. So thanks for being here. Hey, Phil, man, really appreciate it. I'm excited to be on this, uh, the show as well. Absolutely. So let's kick it off. Um, you are not originally from the United States. Your family moved here. So talk about the early years and uh, coming to the United States and just the transition that that is. Yeah. So um, as, as you mentioned, uh, I actually grew, I was born in Nigeria. So outside of Lagos, Benin City, about, about three hours east of it. And um, we spent, you know, the first two years of my life there. My, my father was a professor, my mom was a teacher um, at the time. So he would, um, he would travel back and forth between the United States yeah. and Nigeria uh, for his education. So we ended up landing in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, the middle of nowhere. And he had a job at the Bloomsburg University as a, as a, as a history uh, professor there. So, uh, you know, I was young, the rest of my family, I'm the youngest of four boys. Uh, the rest of my family was a lot older. So for them, it was definitely more of a transition for them. But, um, you know, we, we landed up in a really uh, caring and, and a good neighborhood. And we grew up and honestly, like as we, we, we had a pretty solid uh, uh, upbringing. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we loved sports growing up and, and uh, we played all different types of sports and just competed against each other. And me as the youngest, uh, I always wanted to do what my older brothers were doing, whether it was basketball, baseball, football, soccer, uh, track. So, you know, uh, for, for me, I think my path was probably a little bit easier because I got to see, you know, where they succeeded. Mostly succeeded. They didn't really mess up too much. So I had some really great uh, role models in, in front of me. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, ideal, I just kind of matched it and, and, and surpassed it. But uh, growing up in, uh, in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania was good. Absolutely. Now, life happens and it happens fast. In 1998, unfortunately, your father ends up passing away. And so talk about just the impact of that, not only to you, but to the family dynamic for you guys. It was uh, it was tough. It was tough and it all happened very suddenly. So my, my dad passed away when I was 10 yeah. and he passed away from sickle cell anemia. So if you know anything about it, it's a recessive, um, uh, horrible, horrible sickness and disease uh, that happens to uh, different individuals and, in, you know, the uh, call it the, uh, the belt line of, of the earth, right? So people who live in like warmer climates, um, but it's a disease that involves uh, mutation of the blood during crisis and it can, you know, it impacts different vessels, arteries. And so he went into crisis. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away um, uh, at that time. And uh, it was, it was tough, man. I'm not gonna lie. We went from, you know, being a, uh, a decently called middle, lower class family to, to uh, not having any money. I mean, he was a breadwinner of the family. Right. Uh, so, you know, we went through some really hard times. Uh, it was a massive, massive adjustment for a lot of my family. It made, a significant uh, imprint on 
on us as a as as a family as well as our identities. Yeah. Um, and you know when when that happened, like any kind of easy button, which there's never an easy button when you're black in, in white America. Yeah. Uh, any kind of easy pass that we may have had was gone. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, my my family, we had to take some take some major steps to grow up fast. Uh, as and uh, luckily. Like I said, I have great role models with my brothers, and they uh, they led the way there. Uh, but sports was a big piece. Right? Yeah. I mean, who knows where we would have been if we didn't have sports uh, in our in our lives, and if we didn't have a tight knit family at the time. You know, would we would have been another statistic. You know, another you know black family in the middle of white America, like out there selling drugs, doing who knows what. Yeah. Right. But we had a good head on our shoulders. We had a great community. Um, we weren't. We were poor. That's for that's for sure, but we weren't poor in yeah. in friends. We weren't yeah. poor in community. We weren't poor uh, in 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 effort, right? Um, mm-hmm. I actually shouldn't say that. We were broke. We weren't poor. Poor is a is a state of being. Yes. Right. So we were broke. We didn't have money. Yep. But we made it happen, right? Yeah. So yeah. We all had jobs growing up, man. We all had jobs. We we learned how to have a very strong work ethic at the age of like eight and up. Yeah. Um, I remember my first job was like walking dogs. Yeah. Then, um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but after that, I mean, my brothers had jobs. We all had jobs. So we all, you know, fought to support uh, the family. And then, uh, you know, we excelled at sports. But yeah, it was tough. And am I going to be able to, am I going to put myself in a situation where, you know, uh, we're unable to provide for ourselves or yes. for my, my loved ones, right? So that's kind of stuck with me for a very long time. And I think it stuck with my brothers too. And uh, it's instilled a, an insane uh, work ethic, uh, and you know, I think I think that that tragedy that happened yeah. uh, was honestly kind of like you said, like who would have known in the moment? Yeah. Uh, probably one of those things that propelled us to be who we are today. Absolutely. Now, something I'd love for you to just talk about as we start transitioning part of your story is into the athletic world, but how did that, you know, having a job at eight and creating that work ethic, how did that impact your desire to work at the sport? I I think there's oftentimes a a high correlation there of having strong work ethic in, in a job format that then transitions to sports or vice versa. You know, you learn it from your sport and then it transitions into your working life. Great question. Honestly, I think um, both of those kind of were, were working in tandem. Yeah. Right. Um, playing sports since I was like four or five years old, you know, AYSL soccer, uh, just honing my, you know, my my natural skills um, yeah. at that young age and continued until, you know, until a professional. But uh, that, that builds you with community. So it gives you support all the way around. Right. So that, you know, you, you had your friends through sports. Um, on top of that, it was just a different age. There wasn't cell phones. There wasn't social media. <laughs> You know, so the, the best thing you can do or the most like technology based thing you could do was was invite your friends over to play Sega, 64, you know, <laughs> Nintendo, PlayStation. And that was it. Other than that, you're outside playing. You're outside playing sports. Yep. You're outside playing basketball, uh, you know, baseball, soccer, flag football, whatever it may be. Anything you do to compete and move. Uh, against your your friends and your, your community members was was what was fun skateboarding yeah. you know I was, I was a little nerd I was a little punk when I was growing up um, but uh, you know it, it it hones everything but you saw them you saw your friends and your and your family members work so you just did the same thing 
Right. Or you tagged along and while they were at their job and then all of a sudden you had a job and now you were getting paid as well, right? Yep. Um, and it was just the norm to do. Uh, like I said, I think it's, I think we live in a very, very different world where, you know, that kind of work ethic isn't instilled at, at an early age like it used to be. Um, I think that, um, you know, uh, the distractions that we, that we had were positive distractions, mm. right? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, we don't have as many negative uh, distractions when we were growing up and maybe they were negative in, in, in hindsight, but for us, it was actually helping us hone skills, yeah. right? So uh, definitely super impactful, both sport-wise, which taught us, I mean, we learn everything from sports, let's be real, right? Yeah, sports, absolutely. I think little, little, little soapbox moment. <laughs> Every child should have to play sports. Yeah. And not because of the athletics part of it, yep. because it teaches you social skills. It teaches you how to communicate. It teaches you how to work with individuals that have different um, uh, beliefs as well yeah. as thought processes. It teaches you leadership. It teaches you almost everything you need in life to be. Uh, it, teaches you, it teaches you structure. All right. Yep. Uh, it teaches you everything you need to have in life to be successful. Um, and then you can really just take all those little pieces of, you know, uh, uh, life lessons and apply into whether if it's a you know part time job as a kid growing up, and ideally that becomes more successful there. Absolutely. You can be on that soapbox all day. I agree 100% with you. So that's good. So talking about high school athletics, uh, you know, so you, you're excelling in multiple avenues, you're excelling on the football field, but probably in high school, the sport that you were excelling in most was track and field. So talk a little bit about the, you know, ability to excel at two sports and you know what ended up being the deciding factor on where you wanted to which you one you wanted to pursue in college yeah man i love it man you definitely did your research i tried <laughs> uh, everyone thinks everyone knows me for football because that's what i did the longest but in all reality um i was uh i was exceptional uh and i'm not sure if there's another word above that at track yeah. um but i think you know and I was young. So, I, for example, I graduated at 16 years old in high school. Right? Wow. So two years below basically everybody um, uh, with honors, too, which was great. But being a multiple sport athlete um, is, is it's a lot of it's a lot of time. And, and you don't really think about it once again because you're doing it with your friends. Yeah. Um, and you get in such a routine where if you don't feel like if you're not playing sports, you don't know what to do. Right. Right. You get like. You get you get bored, you get depressed, you, you get you know you start getting into things you don't need to get into. So provided that outlet to to keep your mind occupied um, during it, but you know too super fortunate to be able to excel both in football and track. Football yeah. was one that was just mo the most fun. Why? Because it was with the team. Mm -hmm. No matter how many ways you put it, things are always better with the team. Yep. in my opinion, anyway. Um, but naturally, I was I was a lot better at track and field. Right, so at track and field. Um, quick little story of, of I guess call it, call it the comeback story. Uh, I was in ninth grade when I first started throwing javelin, and uh, javelin was my best sport. Ja shot jab yeah. disc, and then I did um, <clears throat> I did the one hundred four by one long jump, high jump, and that was about it. But just uh, just all of them, no big deal. That's about it, though. <laughs> yeah, whatever they need me, I was just there. Uh, quick little story. I, I broke my ankle in ninth grade throwing a javelin. Just and it was, I think eighth grade was the first time I ever picked one up. 
Yeah. Uh, and then uh, during that summer, it was like April I don't know, 20, 2002 or something like that. Yeah. And during that summer, I grew four inches and I was mediocre at best, but people know I could throw, grow yeah. for how young I was. I was like 13 years old. Um, the next year, I came out and ended up winning states. So I came back from a broken leg, ended up throwing like 197 to win states as a song. It was nuts, right? People didn't, people came out of nowhere. And I was throwing like 180s, you know, um, in in competition, which was pretty good for a sophomore as well. Absolutely. But then after that, I basically didn't lose a match after that. Yeah. Um, There was one match I did lose, which was states the next year in junior year. Uh, and I lost by a margin of about three to four inches. So I, I call that a, a close tie, right? <laughs> Absolutely. After that, after that, I was fully undefeated in driving. I was the best in the nation, and uh, I broke all the records at my school as well as in the yeah. state for, for javelin. Yeah. And then uh, I, won, I won everything you could potentially win. I won Nike Outdoor All-American, uh, 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 what's it called? Associated Press All-American. Um, I won everything. I uh, won pen relays. Yeah. So I could have potentially gone to school for track and field. Um, but I was also, luckily, I was also really good at, at football, right? Yeah. So I made it to the big 33 and as a, uh, as, a, as a defensive end. And I played two ways. So I was a running back and defensive end in football. But football is my passion. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. All my friends played it. And it's just better to win as a team. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, once again, you had a ton of success. And so there's multiple offers that you get to sort through and uh, it comes down to it. And you decide that Villanova is where you want to take your talents for football. So talk a little bit about, you know, what the, I guess, the reason behind Villanova was and uh, how you end up deciding that that would be the school you'd be playing for. Yeah, so I started getting recruited um, for sports right around junior year, uh, mostly for, for the first time, first year was mostly for track. So I had offers from a bunch of different schools across the United States for track. Um, but track at the time wasn't really doing one or two event offers, right? So right. it was like commercial offers. Um, I always knew I wanted to play football, but I also was hoping I could do both because I naturally knew I was better at track, right? Yeah. And I can go literally my freshman year and probably win some sort of competition immediately. Right. Um, and I was throwing like junior nationals for Olympics. Um, but I wanted to do football. So for me, because, you know, education was something that's really important in my family and my yeah. dad's a professor, I wanted to go to a school that had, you know, outstanding education. Uh, I also wanted to go to Penn State, but um, I knew I was going to be a little, you know, a, a little fish in a big pond. Yes. Um, and then I also wanted to go to like UConn, which my brother went to. But then I saw Villanova, excellent school, close here in Philly. So like location wise, it was good. And um, the football had a, had a really good um, uh, standing program, right? It yeah. wasn't it wasn't D1 like uh, Penn State, but it was one double A. So it was really competitive. Right. And they were going to allow me to do both football and track. Got it. Now, that's me being ambitious and not understanding what, you know, how things actually happen when you get to college. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that didn't last for too long. Um, and unfortunately, I had some things that made the decision even easier. I had two surgeries for my shoulders, labrum and rotator cuff shrink that, you know, kind of took that decision out of my uh, out of my, my control. So ended up having to stick with football, um, yeah. even though I was still three-stepping like 185 on a javelin. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was a great decision. Uh, I do miss track from time to time, you know, you know, thinking back on it, like what could have happened, you know, if I would have stuck with it, could I have been Olympics? I think so. Yeah. Um, but in the end, uh, ended up being the best decision. 
Yeah. So transitioning to college, I mean, it, there is just a jump that happens when you're in high school and you're talking, you know, 14 to 17 year old boys. And all of a sudden you get to college and there's, you know, mid 20 year old men. I mean, it, it is just, it's a different game. You know, the speed, physicality, size. Um, talk a little bit about the transition for you from high school, you know, 16, 17 years old, uh, you know, you versus potentially 22, 23 year old seniors that, uh, that you're playing against. Yeah, I think it was always a shock in, in all reality. Now, um, you know, I turned 17 right before the, the season. And, um, you know, I was, I was doing pretty good in camp, but then I had my shoulder issue. So do I think I would have played my freshman year? Probably not. I would probably end up redshirting anyway, just because I was so young. Yeah. But I was doing really well in competition during camp. Um, but decided to make, you know, the decision to, to get the shoulders fixed. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're grown-ass they're grown men. Right. Like, let's be real, like between 17 to 22, uh, there's a lot of changes that happen physically. You know, people were a lot bigger yeah. um, and I was big dude, too. I wasn't like small. I think I came in around like 215 and then, uh, you know, gained 15 pounds over 15 to 20 pounds over time. But, yeah, it's a transition. And um, the biggest thing that was actually really hard for me was um, was not starting, not mm -hmm. playing a sport yeah. for a year. I never had that before. Right. right. Um, and going through two surgeries within four weeks apart during your freshman year was really tough. So I actually went through a really tough time where I, you know, I almost considered actually, you know, quitting and transitioning out to a different college because I was depressed. I was on painkillers and drugs the entire time. And my grades were plummeting because I was a pre, I was basically, I was in a uh, pre-med um, track for schooling. So my, yeah. my schooling schedule was ridiculous. And I think that uh, that that freshman freshman year or freshman semester or first semester, I think I had like a one seven four, right? I was damn near failing out. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. Um, it was just a big shock, not just you know physically. I think I think uh, it was more of a shock um, everywhere else but the field, yeah. because the field is where I felt comfortable. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, new people, new location, you know, new structures and expectations. And I had no power to control any of it, right? But yeah. uh, you don't just sit there and cry. You say, hey, I got to make a decision, right? Yep. So I made a decision, uh, doubled down, and then, you know, just put in the work. In the end, you got to put in work every single time, whether if I was, you know, 13 recovering from a broken ankle or, you know, 17 recovering from two shoulder, shoulder reconstructions. Yeah. Um, so you double down, you believe in yourself, you, you follow the process and you put in the work and, you know, four years later, we won a championship. Yes. So one thing I want to, you know, just kind of highlight and ask about there, because so many people do, and I think transferring is kind of a metaphor for a lot of things, right? Hey, work's not going well. I got passed up for this promotion. So instead of sticking it out, I'm just going to go to a different company. Uh, my relationship's not going the way it is. So I'm going to break up and I'm just going to go find a new relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes those are the answers to the issues, right? <laughs> I'm not saying every you know job, every relationship is the right one. Sometimes that is what you need to do. But sometimes it's taking an introspective look and saying, all right, what about me am I controlling? And what more could I do to make the situation better, right? And so for you, you know, as you're thinking about that being 17, 18 years old, was there any, you know, great advice that you got from a coach, a, a teammate, a brother, um, or, you know, just as you look back on it, you know, what was the thought process there on staying opposed to maybe thinking, hey, grass is greener elsewhere? 
uh, you know, there, there was one moment that actually was pretty pivotal uh, to me. And I actually still remember this to this day. Uh, it has nothing to do with my brothers, has nothing to do with education. Yeah. We were, and I was a, I was a um, when I got to college, I was, a, I was a defensive lineman. I was a defensive end because I had some speed. I can had some hands. I can make some sacks. Yeah. Uh, so after my surgery, this is like the, this is like spring ball going into the next, you know, sophomore year, right? Uh, we were in a defensive uh, defensive meeting, and it was Coach Reardon, and he was he was having he was going through he was having a bad day. Let's put it that way. Day. <laughs> so we're all getting chewed out, every one of us. And uh, one of the things that he said uh, to me was, you know, like he was just like calling people out, calling people out. And he was like, he was like, you, Sia Sunday, you know, you have the most potential, like mm -hmm. the most potential, but you're in the wrong position. Wow. But you have to realize it. You have to make a change, but you got to decide now. Right. But he, yeah. one of the things that stuck out was the potential. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I think that's also a big reason why I am like the way I think is I, I my, I get, I get gung ho about potential. Yeah, gung ho about opportunity, right? And then, like, even though there's gonna be a huge negative, I'm like, mm, but what if? Yeah, right. What if we do this? And uh, that was a catalyst to make me change from linebacker to def to I'm sorry, from defensive end to linebacker. Yeah, and then my career went from there, right? Okay. So uh, that was the pivotal moment. Um, and then of course transitioning out of that pre med uh mess <laughs> yeah yeah and go into psychology which i absolutely still love you know i'm a big fan of the mind and how it works and how people operate but yeah um yeah you know sometimes you need that one message that just clicks it sits with you yep. somewhere deep right somewhere deep where you say damn potential or never mm -hmm. again right mm -hmm. um and then you know you just you you work you put the work in and, and hopefully you're able to realize whatever type of potential you yeah. So two things I want to highlight from that, that really stick out to me as you're saying it is one, I think oftentimes, you know, when things aren't going your way, you can get so caught up in you that you could have completely missed what he said, right? You're just so caught up in, no, man, I'm the DN like that. That's my role. Like I'm not moving a linebacker. This is the position I've always played. Like, why would you do that to me now? And you can almost miss that. What you heard was, oh, well, you got potential to be actually better at this other spot. So I think sometimes it's getting out of your own way. But the second thing, and I'd like you to chime in on this, is um, that when someone sees something in you, whether you see it or not, sometimes it happens before you see it, right? Like that, hey, you got the most talent out here. You got the most potential out here. Uh, but now you got to go do something with it. So talk about the power of someone seeing something in you um, and the confidence that that can help bring. Well, it could do one of two things. It can either scare you away from, from it. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. That's, yeah. That's, that's what happens 90% of the time. Yeah. Right? The people actually step up and do something about it, um, you know, are the ones that have the steel and, um, I guess, trust in themselves, their own individual confidence yeah. that they can move forward and ideally, you know, succeed in anything they, they want to do. Yeah. Um, and I think the person who says that needs to tell it to the person at the right time. Yes. Yeah. Right. So if you were to tell me that in high school, like, no, I'm a running back and I'm a defensive end. Like, I'm, 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 I'm a beast at this. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But if you've told me, but he told me at a time where I was broken yeah. and I just, all I wanted to do was get back on the field. Yeah. That was it. Right. Because mm -hmm. we had two All American defensive ends and maybe I wouldn't have been playing as much. Right. And I, yeah. I still got playing time as a sophomore, doing a little bit of both defensive end as well as linebacker. Um, but 
I think the timing is super important. And I think the individual needs to be at a place um, mentally and emotionally where they're courageous enough to say, hey, you know, maybe he's right. And it mm -hmm. takes courage to look into to say, hey, maybe there's a different option. Yeah. Right. Yep. It takes courage to say, I'm not right. Ego will say, I'm right. This is yeah. forward. But if you say, if you, if you have courage to say, hey, you know what, maybe I do need some help. What if this is a better way? Yeah. Dip your foot into it. If the water's warm, keep on pedaling. You feel me? I um, love it. So uh, I think I think that is uh, the biggest thing. But like I said, ninety percent of the time, it's going to scare people away. So you got to be ready. You got you got to hear it at the right time. Yeah, that's good. So one thing that was interesting to me that doesn't have a ton to do with the actual sport of football, but it had to do with every single football game was you wrote on your tape three three letters. Talk about what that meant to you and what that would continue to just remind you of with the FAM. Fam, yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's always about the family. Yeah. No matter what, you know what I mean? Uh, I used to write it on, it was on my calling card for the plays. And I think I also wrote it on my, um, on my tape on my, on my ankles, you know, uh, in the end, like, you know, because of, you know, who we are and what we are, the, the families is always the people that got me there. And it's, it's not just, um, it was not just, you know, my direct family, most of the time, you know, 80% of it is that, but also, yeah. you know, my closest friends growing up who are still my closest friends now, right. Those are the ones who encouraged me to play all these different sports because they were playing it and they always came to my games. So it's, it's all about the fam. And, uh, they, they gave me a lot of motivation, encouragement. They picked me up when I was down. They beat me down when I was too up, <laughs> you know, yeah. set me right. And, yeah. uh, in the end, you know, uh, it gave me purpose to try to keep pushing when, when sometimes you don't want to push or weren't hurt yep. and you didn't think you'd go any further. And when you just didn't, when you just didn't want to wake up and do it. Yeah, absolutely. Now you hinted at earlier already, 2009 senior year, you guys win the national championship. And additionally that year, you got a pretty cool individual accolade and that was uh, the male athlete of the year. So just talk about that season and the confidence that that gave you and uh, just the opportunity to win as a team. Yeah, 2009 was a dope year. 2009 going to 10, um, but an outstanding team. Um, and in all honesty, I think we may have actually had a better team the year before. Wow. But I think uh, we had too many injuries uh, too late in the game to really get to where we needed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and from, you know, taking, you know, I was a captain of the football team, but from taking a leadership position and we had a moment, actually. We had a moment where it was our captains. And it was early in the season, or may have even been preseason, where, we, where the captains, without the coaches, sat everybody down. They were like, yo, we have a team. We have a huge opportunity. There's that word again, opportunity. Yeah. And potential to do something great here. It was me, Phil Matus, and uh, what's my boy's name? Was it Mike? No, what's his name? I forget the other guy's name right now, but it'll come back to me. But it was me and Phil Matus, we sat the team down. And we said, this is what we need to do. We need to, we need to double down. Yeah. Right. Cause we were this close the year before we had a lot of returning seniors who had a ton of, ton of experience. And, uh, I think that leadership really drove us to just dominating through the entire year. And our defense was powerful. Yeah. Like I think throughout the entire year, our defense averaged like close to, I think we had what geez 79 yards rushing per game for the oh offense yeah so we held teams underneath like 100 yards rushing per game was sick 
and our offense was was powerful too. I mean, we had yeah. we had we had weapons on you know the outside, the inside, and the quarterback. You know, was a, kind of a Tim Tim Tebow type quarterback, but yeah. everything was clicking, man. We had we had one we had one time that we played um, New Hampshire, and we no one showed up. Mm-hmm. No one showed up for the game. Yep. We got we got beat by like seven or something like that up in New Hampshire. And it left a really miserable taste in their mouth for the rest of the year. Yeah. And the next time we saw them, we blew them out by 50 points. <laughs> oh, isn't and that crazy how that can happen? It was amazing. It was a, it was a beautiful snowstorm uh, home at Villanova. Yeah. But uh, we, we had a team of athletes. We had a team of, of individuals who believed in each other yeah. and wanted to see each other uh, win. Mm-hmm. and wanted to do it together and uh i think you know one of the things that we that we one of the watches we had was tap the rock and i'm not sure if you see this this uh this thing here yeah it says what does it say it says pound the stone until it's broken it's very similar yeah to the tap the rock mantra mantra it's really like hey like listen like you're gonna have this it was actually about a story about the uh, the parable about the stone cutter mm-hmm. who was uh cutting and I think like into a piece of marble and he's there tapping on this rock, tapping, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. 1,000 taps, 2,000 taps. People were like, people were, were saying that he's a naysayer. He's, you know, he's a horrible artist, et cetera, et cetera. And then on like the, you know, 5,000th tap, the, the rock finally, finally broke. Yeah. And he was able to create a masterpiece from then on, right? So it's really yeah. about uh, perseverance, mm-hmm. continue to go through when it's hard, right? And then yeah. when it breaks, you know, magic can happen. So that was our, our motto for the year. And it still is a motto <clears throat> over at Villanova. Um, but I think that motto really helped us get to the championship game. Yeah. And the championship game was down in a t- um, a Chattanooga, Tennessee against Montana. These guys were basically an offensive line. It was, it was they had a, a, the offensive line of the NFL. Yeah. Six foot five all the way across. And we were like, damn, these guys are big. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> stat for stat, we shouldn't have won. Right, because they had they had they had just straight up NFL caliber, and a bunch of people actually ended up going to the NFL. Um, yeah, but and I had a torn hamstring or torn quad into hip flexor. I had an eight inch tear. I, I played wow. as much as I could before I couldn't walk anymore. But it wasn't just me. Our yeah. defensive end had a broken hand. You know, our running back had a hamstring issue. D end messed up shoulder. Like it was injuries all over the board. But you know, through just persevering and just a lot of guts <laughs> we were able to win it basically in the last like 30 seconds of the of the, uh, the game it was, it was a magical moment man it was, it was special absolutely so this you know parlays into a pro day and getting the opportunity to you know have have a chance to go to the nfl so talk about you know getting that phone call and getting an opportunity to you know work out with, with the packers it was, uh, you know, I'm blessed, man. I'm super, super fortunate to, to have that opportunity. Um, I, I know, like, I was recovering from that injury, so I wasn't at the peak of where I, I used to be. I used to be able yeah. to run, like, a 4-5-40, 4-5-4, uh, uh, yeah. uh, 40. And then I think I ended up running a 4-7-2. Um, and I wasn't even supposed to be running or healed at the time. So it is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, I, I came there at my best of my ability, my best of, of uh, skill set. And um, for the pro day, I mean, put up some decent numbers, nothing too crazy. Um, and then still had an opportunity to you know, get called by the, the Packers uh, after the draft and, and, and give it a shot. So went to camp. I thought I played the best football I've ever played. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's not it's not college anymore. It's a business. And yep. um, 
you know, things were going really well. I had a ton, a ton of positive feedback. Everyone was like, yo, you're, you're going to make it. You're going to be on the team. You're going to be playing. And um, unfortunately, they already had – this is when they had A.J. Hawk, Brady Papinga, Clay Matthews. They had all <laughs> Pro Bowl linebackers. Yep. And uh, I think they picked up two linebackers in the draft as well. So yeah. it was it was going to be a tough a tough team to make. Um, but it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And then from there, I parlayed that into leading Team USA – Yes. Into, you know, a world championship. And I was a captain of that as well. So that that was honestly one of the, the highlights of my life. Absolutely. Now, something that I always think is interesting, uh, anyone that's played sports at a, at a serious level or has made it a large part of their life, oftentimes as that comes to the playing consistently comes to an end. Uh, there's a piece of you that you almost have to reinvent, right? Because uh, for so long, it's you know, I'm a football player, I'm a basketball player, I'm a this, and it all of a sudden, it's not that you're not that anymore. But you know, there's, you know, it's not on Saturdays, that's what you're doing. So talk just about that for you, whether it's the mental side of things, or just uh, how you kind of work through that, if you did at all, maybe you were uh, more developed than most. No, uh, it happens to all, all athletes. Yeah. Um, Because you like you said, it's an identity crisis. And it's a hole in your life. It's a massive hole you got to try to figure out how to fill, right? I call it the void. Yeah. So this happened to me probably from the age like 23 until probably like 24, 5, right? Mm -hmm. I'd say 24. And uh, you just don't know where you are. You don't know, you know, something that's been in your life, sports, for X amount of time, just no longer there. Now you got to fill it with something. Yeah. Um, So luckily, I was fortunate enough where, you know, I had a master's degree from Villanova. And, um, you know, I had something to at least fall back on, right, education-wise and job-wise. So uh, that filled up the main portion of the day, but then you still just kind of felt, you still just kind of left without a purpose, Yeah. right? Um, so I started to fill it up with things that I knew made me feel good, fitness, working yeah. out, um, stay, trying to stay active, joining different, like, little, like, intramural sports groups here in Philadelphia. And then I realized that was not for me because, number one, all those people don't know how to play the sport. And yes. yes. When you play with people that don't know how to play the sport, you end up getting hurt. Not That's them. right. That's right. So I, I gave that up real quick. I hung my cleats fully after that. I'm like, nope, I'm done. Man. I had too many shoulder issues and back issues. I'm like, this isn't worth it. First off, you're not paying me. Yep. No one's, you know, I'm not winning a championship. It's not worth it. My insurance don't cover this stuff. That's right. <laughs> so um, uh, I started working out. And, um, you know, soon enough, People uh, saw what I was doing in the gym, and I was living in like many at the time. Uh, and they're like, "Yo, this dude's like, it's kind of diesel." And yeah. Like, people, it's funny. So let me, let me pull back real quick. People don't realize that there's been 15 years of work that's been put in making my body. Right. 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 Like 15 years. If you're if you're willing to dedicate 15 years of your life to look a certain way, then you could have the same body too. Yep. Right. Or you can dunk a basketball too, or you could play, yeah. you know, at a, at a X amount. Of, people don't realize the amount of work that's actually been put into it. So when they see me at the gym, they're like, man, this guy's out here killing it. Stand up there. I want to have a body like you. I'm like, hey, cool. Bet. Let's work out. Yeah. And uh, that's how it started. Right. Yeah. Um, people just wanted to work out with me. I said, cool. I got some extra time. Let's, here's what I'm doing. Do it with me. And then they started getting some like insane results, like 20, 30 pounds lost, crazy weights in their numbers. And then I uh, started to click to me. I was like, you know what? Like, I should probably start getting paid for this. Yeah. 
right? But that's how I kind of filled it. And I also filled it with um, uh, uh, modeling too. So yep. I, I, uh, uh, this is pre really diving into fitness and then that started happening at the same time. So I was like, all right, well, you know, if I'm going to like get in shape, I might as well like look into like, I had a friend that did some modeling. He's like, hey, talk to my agent. I'm like, bet, no problem. Talk to him. Um, and then it just took off. So now I had a reason, I had a purpose to stay in shape, not just to go work my nine to five in an office desk, you know, which was, which was cool. It gave me some purpose there, but it wasn't really that fulfilling. Yeah. Um, now I had something that I knew that I could control, right? Modeling and, and going to castings and, and getting gigs. But um, so now I'm staying in shape nonstop for modeling gigs and then uh, fitness modeling. So like you know, I was working, uh, my agency was uh, at the time Silver Model Management and then now it's, it's a Brown Management Group. Yeah. So one of the top, you know, fitness uh, modeling groups in, you know, the United States, specifically in New York. Uh, and I'm not gonna, I think I was just fortunate. Yeah. Um, I think I got my, I think I got the second casting and it was for like a vitamin shop nationwide campaign. Yeah. Um, and then I just got more and more castings and started landing gigs, you know, from vitamin shop to Van Heusen for the NFL to fanatics to working directly with the NFL for two years to um, Under Armour. I was an Under Armour model for about a year and a half, two years. Commercials, Comcast, Verizon. And then my yeah. biggest gig was, you know, with Visa. Uh, which was massive for another Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl ad and commercials too. So yeah. I just got super lucky and super fortunate. I had a look that they wanted. And, um, you know, it's, like I said, just, just fortunate and a lot of hard work. But it wasn't easy. Like New York's the right. biggest market almost in the world <laughs> yeah. uh, for this. And there's a million dudes that look literally like me and better. <laughs> Stop it. That's not true. If you're listening to this, if you're not watching this, this guy is a handsome dude. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of what happened uh, in tandem with fitness. So one thing that I wanted to ask about with models, you know, we've had a few different models on the show. And one thing that they talked about was it was oftentimes one of the first times in their life where they were being told no. And it was truly based on like the way you look, right? I mean, like it, it's uh, it's not hey, you're, you're a really good person. So we're going to put you in this. It's like, well, sorry, you just don't have the look we're going for. And they talked about how that kind of me messed with their, like, their mental psyche, right? Because, you know, man, that makes me question my, well, gosh, how do I, how do other people perceive me and things? So for you, was there any mental warfare that went on, you know, in that process? I know you said, hey, second, uh, you know, casting, I, I, I got the, I got the job. So, I mean, maybe that early confidence helped, but talk a little bit about that for you. Uh, that's a great question. I don't think I really did have that kind of mental warfare. Well, you know, uh, warfare when it came to castings, yeah. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. Well, and there's a few reasons why. It was a hobby for me, mm -hmm. right? It was just something that was a, that gave me an outlet for my creative, my creative side yeah. uh, to tap into. And if I was fortunate enough to get a gig, I was gonna, I was gonna kick that gig's ass and right. crush it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and I think I really came into the, I came into every single opportunity was. I'm going to shoot my, my best shot. Yep. Right. I'm going to shoot my best shot. And if I, if I hit it, great, let's rock. Mm -hmm. And if not, Hey, I tried. Right. Cause I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity if I didn't take a shot. Absolutely. Right? So, um, you know, there was definitely some times where you had cold streaks. Um, but like I said, it was part time for me. And I mean, there's people that live and die by the modeling industry and that's all they do. You yep. know, they need to, they need to, um, 
you know, work two or three different jobs just to make ends meet, meet while they work towards a passion. Um, I just didn't have that battle because uh, I was working on other things behind the scenes that, you know, were driving me and fulfilling me in different ways. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, you're working out in the gyms, you're staying fit for, for modeling and just for your personal enjoyment. And uh, yeah, people start picking up and they say, gosh, this guy doesn't look like most people that work out. I want to know what the heck he's doing. I want to be working out with him. And so you mentioned it, it started catching steam because you were having success and people were seeing results. Now, some, usually the spot is not oftentimes that first month or two when you can see quick results. It's the, the next four months where it's like, all right, the quick results happen. And now it's not as exponential. It's more incremental, uh, you know, changes, developments. How do you coach the folks that attend your gym now through those, I guess we'll call them kind of like, I don't know, intermediate moments where it's like, all right, I've seen some results, but now I'm not seeing, you know, the results that I hadn't already been seeing. Oh man. Okay. Um, the best you can. <laughs> here's, here's why. Now I've yeah. been doing this now for, you know, damn near a decade, um, you know, seven, eight years. And uh, I've, 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 I've had an opportunity to interact with well over 10,000 people. Yeah. And from there, you can see a lot of different personalities, right? And uh, what I'll tell you is it's a, it starts with your mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who are gifted and already look good fall off just as fast as the people who are 100 pounds overweight and need to actually make a change. Yeah. But the difference really starts with, um, number one, their their mindset about truly making the change and their, I call it steel. They have, they have to have the steel and reserve to truly yeah. want to make that change and their why, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and those are the ones who really get the best results. Um, and unfortunately, we are bombarded by a lot of fallacies when it comes to social media. Yeah. So I can't tell you how many people I talk to on a weekly basis to say, hey, I want to come in. I want to have that that apple bottom, that peach, you know, yeah. I want to work with my booty. I'm getting ready for bikini. Listen, I get it. I, I used to model. I want to look fucking good. Right? Yeah, right, right. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but they're, they're seeing what they what people put out on Instagram and social media. And uh, it, it puts an unrealistic expectation for them because they think they can get that in two to three weeks. They think they get that even in four weeks, four months, five months. Right. Like, bro, you got 100 pounds to lose. How do you expect yourself to, to get that in five months? It's not going to happen. That's, that's some that's a very unhealthy mental expectation. Yeah. Right. So yep. that drives a lot more. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, this, that, or third. When uh, what we try to do is really try to help people see that, Hey, this is a, this is a marathon, bro. Yeah. Right. And if you want to get to your marathon, you better take that first step mm. and it's not going to step. It's not going to stop there. Then yeah. you got to take the next step, the next step. And you got to do that every single day continuously. You may take, you may, you may fall off track a few times, but you got to do that every single day until you finish that day of marathon. Yep. And if you're ready for that marathon, then great, let's go. Yeah. Right? I love it. it. I think the, what, what you said originally is, you know, what's that compelling reason why you're doing it, right? That, Hey, it's snowy and eh, I don't really want to go. No. Do you have a compelling reason as to why you're going to get past the aches and pains, or you're going to get past, you know, whatever it is. I think that's really good. And then I think the second thing you talked about is, you know, what sells is easy, right? If somebody produced a book and it said, 
here is a way to live a long, healthy life. And it said, make sure to work out six days a week and eat a good, healthy diet. No one would buy that, right? (laughs) That's boring. No, I want the, I want the five easy steps to having, you know, six pack abs in a month or, you know, by summer, whatever it is. And it's like that sells, but it also provides a unrealistic uh, expectation of, to your point, the results that are going to come. 100%. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I learned over the last, uh, over my, my career now owning businesses is, is learn how to market mm-hmm. because in the end, people want to hear what they want to hear. Yep. That's it. Yep. So market to what they want to hear. Right. Luckily we have a damn good conscious on our side, right? <laughs> where right. in the end, we're going to help you get to where you need to be. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to sell you what you want to hear. I'm going to give you what you need. Yes. And through that, you'll become a better, uh, you'll achieve your goals. And ideally, you'll hopefully learn some things along the way. We become a better human as well. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Well, I've appreciated your time, man, and sharing your story, all the amazing things that have happened. I mean, the, the pivotal moments that have led you from. Uh, you know, being being the young brother, but still, you know, growing up to have a great success and now running your own business. Uh, I can't wait to continue to follow your journey and uh, all the things you're going to continue to do. But, uh, you know, anything that's on the radar next that we need to, you know, make sure to be looking out for, for you on. Uh, you know, I think right now it's really just uh, we're all recovering from the pandemic. Yep. All right. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a decent um, year and a half. This year has been really solid. But, um, you know, one of the things that great coaches do is do the same thing over and over again yeah. at a very good level. It doesn't have to yeah. be great for a very long time. Right. So I think for me, it's really just continue to double down on my team. I'm on our community here in Philadelphia and um, ideally, you know, continue to change the lives here. Um, but I had some other ideas that I want to, you know, a couple little passion projects. I'm always working on something, you know, yeah. me. I'm always working on something in the background. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get those off the ground and, and, and see some fruit uh, from that and uh, be able to have some fun along the way. But apart from that, I'm just going to keep changing lives and uh, making an impact uh, here in our community. Man. Well, I can't wait to follow it. I appreciate you, brother. And uh, we'll look forward to following up soon. Cool, man. Phil, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Wow, what a fascinating story. Thank you so much for sharing it as I. Uh, I think one of the things that stood out to me the most in our conversation is just how Osai takes responsibility, he takes accountability, and then also when he talks about potential. Um, you know, the, the idea that, hey, we are capable of more than what we've ever done before, but we have to be willing to work to accomplish it. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to chatting again with you on Friday.